0: Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Please check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. So Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 34. And the word of the Sovereign Lord reads, And calling the crowd to him and his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> 19th century English Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon once said, there, there are no crown wearers in heaven who were not cross bearers here below. And so right now we are in the middle of the Gospel of Mark in this series titled Following Jesus. And, and today, right, we are now finally at the heart of the issue. Because... because In in today's text, Jesus himself is going to finally spell out and and plainly tell us what it means to follow him. And if you remember last week, we asked three important questions. Number one, who is Jesus? Number two, why did he come? And number three, what does it mean then for us to follow him? And in the first half of uh, Mark's gospel has been about answering the question of who Jesus is. And as you know, that Mark opened his gospel with a clear declaration that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is God in the flesh. And then Mark spends the first eight chapters of his gospel proving just that. Mark proved that by recording the miracles that Jesus had performed and the things that Jesus had said about himself. And we spent 37 weeks together unpacking All of that. And so it's clear who Jesus is. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the reigning king. He is sovereign over everything. He is sovereign over the material world. He is sovereign over the spiritual world. He's even sovereign over salvation itself. So who is Jesus? He is the Son of God, the Messiah. And then last week, Mark begins to answer the second question of why Jesus came right we know who he is so why did he come well jesus himself said that he came to die at the hands of his enemies and to be resurrected 3 days later that's why he came right? but but that's not what the what his disciples had expected you see his disciples to this point had a completely different idea of why jesus had come into the world they had understood that he was the messiah and they were certainly understanding that he was the son of god but they had expected that jesus was going to set the nation of Israel free. Their point of view was 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 the nation of Israel itself, not the rest of the world. You see, they didn't expect Jesus to be a suffering servant. They expected him to be a, a mighty military hero who's going to drive out the Roman army, and that he would then after that ascend to the throne of his forefather David. And be king and restore Israel to superpower status and reign forever. And then they then would be a part of this new reigning government. That they would be on the winning team. That is what they expected. But then Jesus, he bursts their bubble and he rebukes them and tells them that they're focused on the wrong things. They're not focused on God, but on themselves. Right? Kind of like how people you know get in worship. We tend to focus on ourselves instead of God. They were focused not on the things of God, but the things of man. But Jesus made it clear that he came to die and to be resurrected for the sins of his people. As Paul reminds us in 1 Timothy, he said Jesus came into the world for what? To save sinners. That is why he came. And that right there is what required his suffering and death on the cross, but also his victorious resurrection. And so Jesus completely upends their understanding of what his role in the world is. And then he follows that up by then upending their understanding of what it means to follow him. Because they actually already thought they knew what that meant. They thought following Jesus meant marching with him to victory. They thought that he was going to be the king of Israel and they would be his closest advisors. They thought that Jesus was going to vanquish his enemies and they were just simply there to be along for the ride, cheering him on. Go, Jesus. That's why we see in chapter 9, his disciples ask him about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Because they still keep thinking in this literal earthly kingdom that they believe they're going to get to bask in. That's why in chapter 10, James and John asked Jesus, can we be seated on your right and your left hand? Can we be the two most important people in your kingdom besides yourself? And so they have this clear picture that they thought they knew what it meant to follow Christ. But Jesus himself is going to begin to tell them very plainly what it means to actually follow him. And by telling them, he's actually telling us what it means to be a Christ follower. Now, before we move on, I want you to be prepared for, for what we get out of this text. Okay? I want you to be prepared for what Jesus has to say here. I want you to be prepared to put, put away whatever preconceived idea that you might have already had about this. And I want you to be prepared to let the words of Christ speak to your heart for themselves. Because what Jesus has to say here in this text is not at all even close to what these men had expected for him to say. I mean, if you were to ask them, why, what does it mean to follow Jesus, it wasn't what he said that they would have said. And, and the thing that we need to understand is what Jesus has to say in this text about following him is not what the rest of the world will say. In fact, even much of the evangelical world wouldn't say what Jesus says. In fact, I would even argue that, that most Christians wouldn't even say what Jesus says here. I actually firmly believe that. I believe that, that if you were to ask most people, including Christians, what does it mean to follow Christ, right? you wouldn't hear somebody recite what's in this text. You would hear things like, well, following Jesus is about, is about being good to other people. Following Jesus is about trying to be a better person. Following Jesus is about letting him come into your heart. Following Jesus is about trying to do good things the way that Jesus did. You know, WWJD, what would would Jesus do? Following Jesus is about trying to live a better life. Following Jesus is about making a difference in the world. And I want you to understand, many of those things sound good and are good, right? Right? And they may even be the byproducts of what it means to follow Jesus. But this isn't what Jesus is saying here at all. Jesus is saying something else. And many people, for some reason, can't or won't see it. You see, for many people, including Christians, following Jesus is ultimately about them rather than Jesus. They're the ones that are focused of their lives. They're the ones of the focus of, of how they follow Jesus. It's not Christ Himself, because the focus of their life is on them personally. They are at the center of their lives. That is why for them the, the term Christian simply is another label that gets attached to Next one. There we go. Gets attached to their life. Right? Like everything else. Hi, my name is Sherman. I'm a father, I'm a husband, a fisherman. And, and a Christian. Right? People add the label Christian to their life like, they, like everything else, like, like employer or, or employee or community leader or you know or, or wakeboarder or author or book enthusiast or banjo player. I mean, just, just look at look at, at people's social media descriptions when you when you read those things. They have this long list of labels that describe who they are and their and their interest. But what what is the defining characteristic of most of these people? The defining characteristic, the center of their identity is what? Themselves. They are the thing that defines every other part of their life. They are the focus of their own life. And so for many people, right, Christ is just like you know a part of their life, like all the other labels and activities. Being a Christian is like being a Republican or a Democrat. It's like being an activist or a baseball fan. It's just simply an additional way of describing yourself. That's not what it means to follow Christ. That's not what it means to be his disciple. Being a disciple, as we will see in a few minutes, means that Christ is all of your life. That Christ is not part of your life. He is your whole life. Christ is the center of your life. And because Christ is your whole life, then then that must mean everything else is defined. Everything else is defined is not about you, right? Everything else is about him. Christ is the center of your life means that, that that defines all the other labels in your life. That's why you're not just a parent, you're a Christian parent. You're not just an employee who works for someone, you're a Christian employee whose whose allegiance first is Christ and you're representing him at work. That's why you're you're not just a neighbor to your neighbors, you're a Christian neighbor. You're his ambassador right where you live. right? You're not just a student, you're a Christian student. And, and, and that right there changes everything. Who we are as Christ followers must define and direct every other part of our lives. That's that's how, and, and how we live and how we behave. And every other area of our lives is absolutely should be determined by what it means to follow Jesus. When he says that, to follow me. And that's what we're going to see here. Now before we actually look at the text, we need to remind ourselves the importance of context. Because right here, the historical context of Mark is really going to become very important for us. Now we know know, where we are in the story. We're in the second half of the Gospel. Mark has demonstrated that Jesus is the Son of God. He's already told us why he has come. And now the question that remains is, what does it mean to follow him? And to answer that question, we must understand why Mark wrote this letter in the first place. And Mark wrote this letter for basically three reasons. Number one, he wanted to preserve Peter's eyewitness t- account for future generations. Mark is recording Peter's version of the events. All right, that's an important eyewitness um, testimony that needed to be preserved. Secondly, he wanted to correct false and inadequate teachings about Christ <laughs> in the early church because they were already popping up. As we've talked about multiple times, false teachers and false teachings have, have popped up in the church from the very beginning. And so Mark wanted to correct those errors that were popping up in his day. But third and most relevant to our purpose today, he wrote this letter to encourage Christians who were in this moment facing persecution. Right? Because persecution against Christians was on the rise. And there was this temptation then to deny and turn away from the Christian faith. Right? The temptation and the pressure to do that was growing. You see, it's really easy, even today, to follow Jesus when the sun is shining. It's easy to be a Christian right, when things are good. But what about when it's going to cost you something? What about when things get really hard? You see, many Many Christians were facing persecution, and and some were walking away from the faith, and Mark wrote this gospel to remind them of why they even believed in the first place. He reminds them, number one, of who Christ is, he reminds them why he came, and he reminds them of what that means for them here and now. And he's writing this to encourage them to continue on and to follow Christ no matter what happens. Now, with that understanding, let's look at the text. Verse 34 Mark uh, records, uh, records this, he says, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And the first thing I want you to notice is the progression of this story. Jesus asked his disciples at one point, What does everybody else say about me? And they said, Well, the prophets, you know, John the Baptist, what do you say about me? And Peter said, You are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. And in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus said, Blessed are you, Peter, right? Because, because God has opened your eyes, basically, to that truth. And then Jesus, then right after that, tells him why he came. right? That he must suffer many things, and he must be killed and rise again. And then Peter, thinking he knows what's going on, and he's thinking about his own plan and not God's plan, he rebukes Jesus and says, That's never going to happen to you. And then Jesus turns right around to his disciples, and he rebukes Peter, but he also rebukes them, right? Because they're not thinking straight. In essence is what he's saying. You're not thinking about the things of God, you're thinking about the things of man. Your heads are not in the right place. And then immediately after that, he then then it says right here that he called the crowd to him with his disciples. Right? So he's talking to his disciples and then he turns to the crowd and draws them into the conversation. And the reason why this is significant is because Jesus what he is about to say is not just for the apostles at that time. What he is about to say is for all Christians at all times. All Christians. He said to the crowd and his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This message right here is for all Christians. This, th- th- Which means... That what he's saying right here in this text applies to you and me. And what what we need to gather from this text, right, and what Jesus is saying is that all Christians, all believers, are to be followers of Christ. Right? They're to come after Christ and follow him. Now, you might say, well, duh, of course. Right? But what you need to understand is many people... Many people, including many Christians, what they want to do is they want to separate these two ideas. They want to say that believing in Christ and following Christ are actually two different things. That you can actually be a believer, but not actually be a follower of Christ. See, this is the outworking of the theology that says that you just can pray a prayer, you know, and no matter what happens, you're saved, even if your life never changes and you live in open and unrepentant sin. Even if your life never changes. Because because if you just just pray this prayer, you're saved. And because of that, people believe that you can believe in Christ, but not actually follow him. You can believe and be saved and go to heaven, but not actually go where Christ is calling you to go. People want to separate these things. And I'm going to tell you right now, that's just simply not the truth. In fact, let me just bottom line this for you. If, If you're not following Christ... You don't believe. If you're not following Christ, you are not a believer. You just need to settle that in your heart and your mind right now. If you're not following Christ, you don't believe in him because Christ did not call you simply to believe some facts about him. He called you to repent and believe the gospel. He called you to turn and put all of your faith and all of your hope and all of your trust on him and him alone. He called you to follow him. Remember the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. What, what's the difference? The difference is the condition of their hearts. Unbelievers have a hard, unchanged heart. Believers have a, a, a supernaturally changed heart. And what we need to understand is that this, this change is a supernatural, radical transformation. You have been given a new nature. Jesus calls us being born again. We hear that phrase over and over again, almost to the point it loses its meaning, right? Being born the first time is a radical transformation, ask any mom, right? Being born again is a radical transformation. It's a radical transformation of who you are. That's why Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Coming to faith in Christ is a result of a radical supernatural transformation. It changes who we are at our core, and because of that, Christ then is the following Him, going where He goes, is the is the is the, the natural byproduct of your faith. If you believe, you will naturally begin to follow Him. And if you don't follow him, then you don't believe. Now, I want you to to hear me and not misunderstand what I'm saying. I am not saying, if you believe, that you will always follow perfectly. Because I'm not saying that. And I'm not saying that you will always follow willingly. I'm not saying that either. I'm not saying that you will always follow with the very best attitude and intentions. Right? Right? We see right here in the story that Jesus' apostles themselves don't follow Jesus perfectly, and they sometimes follow reluctantly, and sometimes they even follow superficially. And they fail, you know, big time. But we know that they believe, and we know that they're following him. And so this isn't about perfection. This isn't about following perfectly, though it is certainly about following. And if you're a believer then you're a follower, which means that what Jesus is saying right here applies to you. And I think we should pay close attention to what he's saying here. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now I want you to notice that from the mouth of Jesus himself, we see that following Christ, being a believer, entails two absolutely essential elements. Following Christ involves two things. Number one, self-denial. And number two, bearing a cross. Self-denial and bearing a cross. And this right here, right, this text almost verbatim appears in Mark and Matthew as well as Luke, which means this text is certainly important, but it also means it's really Familiar to most Christians. Lots of people have heard these words. In fact, most Christians know these words. They might not be able to actually give you the chapter and verse where they're located, but they have heard the words, and they can even tell you, Jesus said to deny yourself and and, and pick up your cross and follow me. Most Christians have heard these things. And so the chances are you've probably yourself heard these words before. But my question is, is, have you ever stopped and thought about what these words really mean? Have you ever stopped and asked yourself, what what, what does Jesus mean by denying self? What does he mean by bearing a cross? Because the fact of the matter is, Jesus has a very clear and specific meaning for this phrase. And your understanding of what he is saying here will affect the rest of your life as a Christ follower. So let's take a closer look. The first thing that Jesus says is a Christ follower must deny himself. And this might seem kind of straightforward, um, but but really, what does that mean? What, what is self-denial? What's the self-denial that he's talking about? Well, people see this phrase, and what they think is is, is materialistic terms. Right? They think this is a call for people to to deny themselves material possessions, either in order to exhibit self-control, so that they're better stewards of their stuff, right? Or so that they have more to give to the kingdom. They think that, hey, I'm going to deny myself that, that Starbucks so I have a little extra money for this thing over here or I can give in the offering plate or I have a little extra money to make to pay down my debt so I'm a, I'm a good steward of what God has entrusted me. Others think that denying self means denying certain pleasures and indulgences that are you know, in their life. Some people think that, that comfort makes Christians lazy and apathetic and so you just need to deny yourself those things so that way you don't Take your focus off of of Jesus. And some people even think that this means to deny yourself the sins that tempt you. That that you need to have this iron will and that you need to deny your emotions and and your desires for those things. And, And though we must absolutely do battle with the sin and temptation in our lives, and as John Owen says, be killing sin or it be killing you, right? We should certainly deny our flesh, but that is not what Jesus is saying here. None of those things are what Jesus is saying here. Because actually all of those things, if you take all those, any of those things and make them what Jesus said, it's going to lead you to legalism. Because what you'll see here is this, this self-denial simply just becomes another list of rules that you end up creating to follow for yourself, or a set of standards you're trying to work to live up to. Right? But that really misses the heart of the matter, what Jesus is driving at. It's not what Jesus is talking about at all. When Jesus says deny yourself, he's not talking about resisting material things. He's not talking about avoiding things. He's not talking about a new list of behaviors. He's talking about something much more foundational. What did we say before? Jesus didn't come to change your behavior. He came to change your heart. When, you, when Christ says deny yourself, what he's saying is you need to deny making self the center of your life. That's what he's saying. Because notice what he's saying, deny self. You see, the issue isn't the things you do. The issue is who the center of your life is. Is it you or is it him? And I want you to know we all have this tendency to want it to be us. And what he's saying is if you're going to follow him, if you're going to go where he wants you to go, you can't be the center of your own life. Why? Because if you're the center of your own life, you're just simply not going to go where he's going to call you to go. You just won't do it. You just will not do it. If you're the center of your own life, then following Christ is going to be about you and about what you like and what makes you happy and what motivates you and what what inspires you. And when things get hard, as they will, and as the struggles come and, and as you struggle to follow Christ where he's leading you, because you're the center of your life, you are not a good enough reason to go where Christ is calling you to go. You yourself are not a good enough reason to suffer the things that Christ would call you to suffer. Because following Christ doesn't mean walking behind Jesus all the way to victory lane going, Yay, Jesus! Following Christ doesn't mean walking on a level, easy highway. Following Christ doesn't always mean blue skies and sunshine. No. He says it right here. It means bearing your cross. And if you're at the center of your life, believe me, you won't bear that cross very long. You just won't. Because understand what the cross is. Cross-bearing is not the common irritations and the difficulties of life, as many people would say. It's just simply not, even though many people will believe that it is. You know, you've heard this expression as people talk about the thing that they're struggling with. You know, Just my cross to bear. I might have even said that a couple times to my own self. So I'm not judging. You know, my boss is a real big jerk, and I hate him. But I need the job, so I guess that's my cross to bear. Well, you know, I found I have cancer and I have to go through chemotherapy. But you know, that's my cross to bear. You know, I've really made a mess of my marriage and my wife and my kids won't talk to me anymore. Even though that I've made amends and I've done everything I can do to make things right. But I guess, you know, that's my cross to bear. Understand, these things right here are absolutely heartbreaking and difficult for sure. But this is not what Christ is talking about here when he says bearing a cross. He's not talking about the natural sufferings in this world that everyone suffers from. Because all people, believers and unbelievers alike, will suffer loss. Everybody does. Everyone struggles with the relationships. Everyone has a season of deep frustration and pain. Everyone goes through depression. Everyone experiences great difficulty. Because Jesus, right, but right, that's just the world we're born into. Everyone experiences that. So Jesus is not talking about the common difficulties and sufferings that we endure. He's talking about something that only he and his followers could really ever experience. And we see that in what he says. He says, deny yourself and take up your cross to purposely pick it up. Nobody ever signed up for cancer. Nobody ever signed up to have a a boss that hates them. But cross-bearing is to understand what it is and to purposely pick it up. And understand what he's saying here. He's talking certainly metaphorically, but not not just metaphorically. He's talking about the cross, the instrument of torture and execution and shame that was brought by the Roman Empire. He's talking about the instrument that the Romans used to terrorize people into submission. He's saying you need to willingly, willingly embrace it and pick it up and follow me. And carry it with you. Don't lose sight of that. You're to willingly and purposefully and deliberately pick up your own cross and follow Christ where He leads. In fact, Luke records it this way: He said, Jesus says this. He goes, For whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. I don't think it could be any more clear than that. So if you are a disciple, then you must be you must willingly pick up your cross and follow Jesus. But, that, but we don't live in a Roman era. And, and we're not really worried about people in America being nailed to, to crosses right now. So what does that mean for us? What well, it means to bear your cross is to willingly follow Jesus to humiliation, extreme suffering, and even to your death. That's what it means to bear your cross, to willingly follow Christ to humiliation, extreme suffering, and even to your own death. You see, the Christian life is not simply about learning some facts about Jesus and you inviting him into your heart and then slapping this this Christian bumper sticker on your life and then continuing to live the way that you continue to live even though you might be a little bit new and improved. Salvation is a radical transformation that that results in a radical devotion to Christ that causes you to willingly follow Christ into the darkest places and the darkest seasons and and, and willingly enduring humiliation for just being a Christian who believes the truth. And it means that you're willing to endure humiliation. Not just minor discomforts, but extreme suffering, extreme persecution. Will you follow Christ if they torture you? Will you follow him if they take away all of your stuff? Will you follow Christ if they don't let you buy and sell openly in the market? Will will you follow Christ if they murder your children and your grandchildren in front of you? That's the extreme suffering of the cross. And more than that, will you follow Christ even if it means your own death? If they put a gun to your head, would you continue to follow him? Will you die for Christ? Now before you say yes, most people, most Christians will just say, yeah, of course, I would die for my Savior. I'd die for Christ. My question then is, how is it possible that you're willing to die for Christ when you're not willing to sell out and live for him right now? How do those things go together? Everyone thinks that being bold as a martyr in death is, is where it's at, but how about being a faithful witness in life? Following Christ is about picking up your cross and willingly follow Christ into the worst possible circumstances and scenarios, which may very, mean, very well mean horrible humiliation and terrible public shame and crushing cultural pressure and the worst kinds of suffering, and even your death. I was talking to the youth group. We, 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 we went through 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we, we looked, and Paul said, those who were unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of heaven, and he gives us a list, and he talks about sexual sin, and he talks about greed, but right in the middle of that, he says that those who practice homosexuality will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And I asked him, I said, what does that mean? They said, well, that means... According to the Word of God, that homosexuality is sin. I said, "I want you to know. By the way, in your lifetime, that statement's going to cost you something. It will. It's already costing people some things now. There are people that lose their businesses that are that are being boycotted for that reason, right there. People. There was actually a a, um, a congresswoman in another country, in one of the Slavic countries, who basically quoted that scripture." And she's been investigated by the police. She's in a criminal investigation for that remark. I told him, I said, in your lifetime, it will not. It might not just become culturally, you know, bad to say. That it might even become illegal to say. It will cost you something. There will be cultural pressure. That's what it means to follow Christ. Will you not deny the truth? That's why you can't be. The center of your own life. Because I'm going to tell you, if you're the center of your own life, you won't follow Christ there. That's why you can't be the center of your own life. Because if you're the center, you just will not go. There's not enough, you're not a good enough reason to go. I mean, I love you, right? And I want to think the the, the best in you. But if you're the center of your life, you won't go to the darkest places that Christ may lead you. You'll cave under the pressure of the weight. You cannot be the center of your life. Jesus absolutely must be. And that's what it means by self-denial. Christ must be on the throne of your heart. He must be the center of your whole life. He must be the king and the lord of your life. He must be the most important thing in your entire universe. He must be more important than treasure and all the money in the world. He must be more important than all the comfort that you can possibly imagine in living peacefully all the way to retirement. He must be more important than being accepted by your friends and your family members. He must be more important than the security you feel for having a 401K. He must be more important than life itself. That's why Jesus says what he says next. Verse 35 says, "For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? And what does what can a man give in return for his soul? For whatever for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father." With his holy angels. Christ must be the most important thing in the whole world. And verses 35 through 38 emphasize that point. In fact, these verses, when you look at them carefully, they might seem like random statements strung together, but they're actually related to one another. These are three parallel ideas. Jesus is, in essence, is saying the exact same thing multiple times, but in different ways to make clear and emphatic points. And in your notes, I actually kind of charted this out to help you kind of visualize that. I want you to notice that each one of these phrases has an action, and then there's a corresponding consequence to that action. And the first one, Jesus says that if you will save your physical life, then you will lose your eternal life in essence, is what he's saying. And then he says, what good is it to gain the whole world and then turn around and lose your soul? And then he ties it together and says, if you're ashamed of him, then Christ will be ashamed of you. Right. And when you put these ideas together from a, from a Jewish perspective, right, this is what you get. Is if a person will save his own life by denying me, it would not matter what they have gained. If they had gained their physical life and all the wealth of the world and all the fame and all the comforts and happiness of this life that it has to offer, in the end the result's going to be the same. Christ will denounce them before his Father, and that person will lose his soul and will lose his eternal life. That is what he's saying. Christ is saying, if you make yourself the center of your life, you're going to abandon me the moment it gets hard and you're going to prove that you really don't belong to me in the first place. Jesus is saying, if you don't follow me where I lead, you don't belong to me. And so if you belong to me, you need to deny yourself, willingly pick that cross up and follow where I lead you. That's, That's what he's saying. So who is... Jesus, the Son of the living God. Why did he come? He came to suffer and die for our sins and be raised three days later. What does that mean for us to follow him? Following Christ is about going where he leads, no matter what the cost. No matter what the cost. That's what he's telling his disciples. And that's what he's telling us. Now. <sighs> there gonna be there have been some who said, and we'll continue to say, Sherman, why do you talk about stuff like this on Sunday morning? I, I mean, this is kind of hard to hear. Why do you why talk about this, especially in church, when when there may be people here who don't really know Christ? They they might hear this and it might scare them off, and, and they would never have, you know, a chance to come. The faith. Why, why wouldn't you just reserve that for a Bible study for more mature people and, and not talk about you know that here? You see, the root of that sentiment is really a lie. It's propagated by Western culture, and that lie simply is this: that we need to take the gospel and we need to soften it and make it palatable enough and give people enough good stuff that they can develop a little bit of taste for it. And then once they're believers, then we'll tell them the rest of the story. That's really kind of the sentiment. But brothers and sisters, there's two things I want you to understand about that. Number one, that is the classic definition of bait and switch. Right? You tell them one thing to get them hooked, and then you reveal it's something else. And frankly, that by itself is immoral. Because <laughs> it's a lie. In fact... When it comes to business, they'll take you to jail for that, right? That's why it's illegal. You, you say one thing, and then you give them something else. It's disingenuous, and it's, and it's dishonest. Number two, right, we are called to sow the seed and proclaim the truth. Not alter it, not soften it, not smooth it out, not make excuses for it, not coat it all in honey, Right, so that they don't ever know that there's medicine there. You know, you know how you do with your dog. They got that pill, and you put it in a big old glob of hamburger meat. Right? The thing is, is that puts too much emphasis on my power to save people, and I don't have that power. The tr- the, 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 what we need to understand is, is, the, is the truth. The gospel is the power of God for salvation, not my ability to make it taste better. And truth be told, if, if the gospel is not enough to cause someone to put Christ at the center of their life and follow wherever he leads, then nothing will. Nothing will ever be enough. Because let's just remember where we are. All of us were born physically alive and spiritually dead. And because of that, we were radically depraved, which means... Right? Not that we weren't capable of good, but it just means that sin affected every area of our life. It affected our relationships, our families, it affected our work, right? it affected our ability to do good things. We could still do good things, but even that's still marked by our sin. And it affects our relationship with God. In fact, the only relationship we had with God was the fact that we were his enemy in rebellion against him. And as such, God's wrath and his righteous anger justly was over our heads His judgment and condemnation loomed over us like a dark shadow. And we, worse than that, were helpless and hopeless to do anything about it because we don't have the ability to make things right with God on our own. We were completely unable to do so. But then, God, by His grace and the counsel of His will and His love for us, God became a man. Jesus Christ came to the earth and took on a human nature so he can identify with you. And he lived a perfect life fulfilling the law that you could not, and then he willingly took upon himself his cross. He picked up his cross, and he carried it all the way to Calvary, where they nailed him to it and lifted him in the air. And in that dry, desert sun... He was bleeding from head to toe, slowly being suffocated as his body was, was pulling his, pull on his arms, collapsing his, his chest, making it almost impossible to breathe. And as he suffered, right for hours on in, his disciples ran from him right and left him. And, and those who were, were there with him spat on him and mocked him. And he prays to God the Father forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And then... In the most heartbreaking moment, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As the sins of the world are cast upon him, and the full weight of God's fury and wrath and anger fall upon his broken body. As the Father is pleased to crush his Son for us, and Jesus, the Son of God, died for you. He died for you, and was raised three days later proven that it's true. That Jesus is what he says that he is, that he's God in the flesh, and he can do what he came to do, which is to save you from your sins. And all a person needs to do is repent and believe the gospel, and all their sins are washed away, and they're given a new nature and a righteousness of Christ. And no longer are we enemies of God, but now we're his family, his children, and the condemnation that we once lived in and the shame that we once felt is forever gone. And our hope now is everlasting joy in his presence. Brothers and sisters, if that is not enough to cause people to love Jesus with all their heart and to make him the center of their life and pick up their cross and follow him, nothing will. Nothing will. He is more than enough. He is worthy of our deepest worship and our most profound devotion. And so if you love him, and make him the center of your life. Pick that cross up and know where he's leading you. Let me pray for you. You've been listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead, a production of First Baptist Church in Boron, California. Our website address is fbcboron.org. And would you please consider partnering with us financially as we work to share the hope and the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world.